everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. When is the last time you were charged by a bear or a wolverine? Unless you are backpacking hunter Aaron Snyder, president of Kafaru International, the answer is probably never. This is just the norm for someone like him whose job requires him to be in the wilderness 100 days out of the year. If you've ever wondered about the arguments for and against hunting exotic animals, Aaron lays out the explanation for us in today's conversation. He also regales us with tales of 14-day solo hunting trips, which have had him questioning his sanity and his physical limits. Find out what emu and whale taste like and why pissing blood is not considered a healthy bodily function. Here it is, episode 386. This is Luke. This is John. And there is no Tex McQuoken in the room today because Tex is off on a, a voyage of self-discovery. And uh, man, it's, you're right. It's just a lot lighter, well, a you lot know, calmer. He's got to travel pretty far to find somebody of similar stature and height. Uh. With Brett Bartholomew. <laughs> just a, a double burn on Brett and Tex? Okay. Just, a, just a couple five foot six bros hanging out. You Both know, very hairy. Very hairy, talking about coaching, lifting weights, doing things, but maybe least, thro- so throwing he, back a couple uh, you know, light beers. They seem like light beer guys. And here, here's my thing about Brett Bartholomew and being a hairy man. At least he's popping a few buttons and letting that sucker flow. McQuoken, Mr. Bacon Neck, covers it up, man. <laughs> just, hey, let, the, let that chest hair flow in the wind and let everyone know. You just, uh, just got to let that lunch meat just hang out. You know, it's like a bunch of hamburger meat just, just floating around there. Oh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. As is tradition, when a member of the podcast crew is off, there's some sort of burn in place. And, and the burn ban has been removed. That's right. And Tex has been texting us every 20 minutes. Hey, burn ban is on. You can't make fun of me. Well, what, what do you expect to happen? Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have Aaron Snyder on the podcast, who's the president of Kafaru International. And uh, man, he's like certainly the most qualified hunter that I have spoken with in person. I mean, some of the adventures he talks about is crazy. Well, I mean, uh, um, Andy uh, Stumpf, you know, I know um, uh, like Baker and those dudes and also Tatanka, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those guys are all kind of like, you know, in that kind of similar vein of, you know, Bert Soren. Listen, those dudes, listen, I think they're cool. They're our friends, but But they're not spending 200 200 days a year in the field. No, those guys are... Hell no. Bert's in his man cave, like (laughs) shirtless on a skateboard. Dude, Aaron Snyder is not. He's out there getting chased by bears and wolverines. Uh, No, he's a savage, And that's not to knock our friends and guests. But this guy is like the real deal. It's pretty interesting. Is it kind of like there's golfers and there's people that play golf? There's hunters and there's people that hunt? I think so. But then there's like also Tiger Woods. You know what I mean? Like the the cream of the crop. Because, man, I, I really thought I was like a sportsman and hunter. And I'm like, man... This pack hunting stuff sounds crazy. Like yeah. just, the fact that he's talking to me, he's like, "Well, I'm out there 14 days alone, pissing blood by day three because I can't find water." You know how it is. I'm like, I, I don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like listening to it. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great until I start pissing blood, mm-hmm. and then I'd be like, "Where's the? I'm gonna tap out on this one." But what I do like is like I guess having I do most mostly like stand and blind hunting, but I've never done real and like any real stalk and hunt type stuff, and that does seem pretty appealing. Not to the tune of like a five day, you know. 12,000 foot elevation type of hike and hunt, but I'd, I'm probably going to get, I'm probably going to do some sort of stalk and hunt thing here in the near future. Be fun. Treat myself a little bit, you know, but especially after talking to Aaron, I'm sure you can point me in the right direction. He would probably um, be the guy to put us onto something pretty amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, before we get going on the podcast, hey, maybe you're you're want to get into some pack hunting. Maybe you need to get in a little better shape. That's one thing we do talk about on the podcast. Is Aaron's like, man, there's got to be a way to train for this. And you know what, John and I figured out how, and uh, we're gonna crack the code. Hopefully, as we talk to him a little bit more. But a great place to start is training on Power Athlete, powerathletehq.com slash training. Find the training program that's right for you. You go to powerathletehq.com slash training and you'll have a little find my program survey. Click it, fill out the information and get uh, get started. Each program has a 14-day risk-free trial. So that means if it's not right for you, just let us know and we'll credit you. No questions asked. Sounds good. Uh, enough about us, enough about techs not being here, abandoning us. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I appreciate that, like, you know, they have a conference for, you know, five foot six hairy men that get together and they talk about, you know, stuff that... Biceps uh, and calf raises? I, I, I don't even know what people five foot six. It's been so long. I mean, it had to be, what, seven years old by the time <laughs> I was that size? Oh, uh, poor guys. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on to the good stuff with Aaron Snyder from Kafaru. Here we go. All right, well, Aaron, I guess... Uh, I'm Luke, first off. I'll just introduce myself. And then I'm John. You, you got John over there. So let's get into that because as we were, you know, uh, Tex, who's not here with us, he's out traveling at a seminar. As he was trying to book this sucker with you, that was a point of contention, right? Like you've got this six-month period of time, half the year you were out and you were hunting. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it's probably longer than that. Uh, um, seven. Yeah, seven months. Seven months. <laughs> some, of it, some of it's guiding. Um, you know, in, in Texas, I guide in uh, West Texas for Audet. Oh, yeah. And uh, mule deer some. It's a recent thing, but it really, it's probably longer than that total because um, by March, we're done with that. And then um, in May, we start bear and turkey hunting. And then that's a couple months. And then um, we scout and, and backcountry fish through the summer and so it's probably honestly closer to nine um if i go a month without uh shooting something it's something's gone terribly wrong so where uh where do you guys hunt the audats uh, like uh like big bend area yeah the davis mountains so right in that area just outside of el paso a couple hours i guess and then uh, also in the panhandle uh by the uh, paladero canyon so uh, uh, we're in Austin, actually out in the hill country toward Bee Cave, like Hamilton Pool. And uh, I've seen odd ads out here. And uh, I've also seen Axis, which is pretty funny. You're driving on the side of the road and you're like, man, that's on a deer. So Yeah, my, my daughter who works for me now, she just moved up here. Um, her sister and brother-in-law, all their family is Dripping Springs, Austin, San Antonio, okay. Comfort, yeah. Buck, some other, t- I can't remember. So I've been down there shitload. And then I hunt with... Um, the, the the dude from Yeti, he lives down there in Austin, and then his buddy's got a ranch down there, so I go shoot shit with them occasionally. Yeah, my buddy's got a place over in Campwood, which is in that Frio River Valley, and, uh, man, there's so many yeah. exotics down there. I remember, uh, like, at least once a month, he'll text me these pictures, and I'm like, what the hell? Where are those? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I just started fucking around down in Texas the last couple, three years. Just, um, you know, I shot shit on high fences when I was younger my wife's from down there and then uh, I never even heard of the Paladero Canyon I didn't know what the fuck it was that thing's giant and uh, 
you know, and then the Davis mountains, I didn't know how big those were. So it's something that's, it's not the same as hunting mountain goat at 13,000 feet, but it's, it's pretty fucking cool. Um, on that note, I should probably stop dropping F bombs. Is this an explicit podcast or no, you can drop as many fucking <laughs> yeah. F bombs as you want. Yeah. Now we, we personally are trying to temper our, Profanity. Uh, so we're, we we're, some we're dropping it from a few hundred down yeah. to like double digits. Do you guys know a dude? I think his Instagram page is Derek More Plates, something like that. Not ringing a bell, no. Well, that fucker. Uh, so it's on Rogan uh, recently, and he asked. I used to be a lot bigger, um, maybe maybe like seventy pounds bigger than I am, you know now. And he asked me about it on the podcast, and so I just was very upfront. I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. No post-cycle therapy. This is what, you know, this is what happened off my ignorant. And anyway, so this Peckerwood does a podcast or an interview about what I had said. So I, I messaged him and was like, Hey dude, uh, I'd like to get you on my podcast and discuss this. Cause pretty much you said everything I said. It's just, you kind of made me sound idiot. I was young and dumb with no coaching, so I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. And then you immediately say after, well, this guy's obviously dumb shit and doesn't know what he's doing. And it's like, yeah, I just fucking said that <laughs> to start the whole thing off. Like that, you know, I preface with with that, but I didn't know if you guys had known no. him. He's got- so hang on. So let me get this right, Aaron. So this guy was trolling your episode of Rogan and then get like busting out and trying to get listens on unsolicited critique of your own very own critique of your your lack of coaching. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. So I get he had said people had messaged because Rogan never had talked about steroids on the podcast before. And I'm very open about it. I don't give a shit. So, you know, there's a picture of Rogan and me on the podcast and then me in the middle holding a bow. And it says recent talk of steroid use on Joe Rogan with Aaron. And he breaks down what I said, because in the middle of the podcast, I told Rogan, I said, you know, I don't really believe uh, in roid rage. I said, if you're happy you're happy if you're sad you're sad if you're a dick you're just a little more of a dick Mm -hmm. i said except for trinicolin i hung a guy i can't handle that shit i I turned into a royal asshole Mm -hmm. and he agreed with everything i said he just tried to turn it around it was weird because i had said um but i you know like i said i took a nansaid and and some you know whatever and i listed how much so then i'm on i'm on trt now just head injuries and shit and i said you know i'm taking 200 uh basically 200 uh, milligrams a week or one milliliter i take a shot a week and he's like telling well that's a bit of a cycle and it's like well my fucking doctor prescribed it mm-hmm. i'm not on a site and i'm not taking an anabolic either right i'm not taking deca or anything else so i just wondered if you guys knew him because i certainly would like to talk to him but anyway <laughs> uh you know what I've, I've come to the conclusion that the lowest level life form on the planet is the youtube commenter so, yeah, and you know, so he's got a big YouTube page, and there was people commenting on what I had said on his or sending him emails, and you know, I'm sure the guy is nice enough. He seemed extreme. I will say he was very knowledgeable, but when I preface, I'm an idiot and had no idea what I was doing, and he comes right after that and says, "Obviously, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing." I'm like, "Well, I started the conversation off with that, so everyone knew because I called it." Trinibolin, which is not the way you pronounce it. He's like, well, obviously this guy doesn't know what he's doing. It's, it's pronounced however the hell it's pronounced. Uh, we always just call it Trin. Well, it's and, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Trimbolone. 
Trembolone. Trembolone, yeah. yeah. It's a cattle drug that they basically do little pellets and inject it under uh, underneath the skin of cattle, and then it soaks in. It's pretty. Well, and I, I had talked. Well, when I took it, it, it was an injection. Well, and, yeah. Uh, what they do is they crush it, up the little, uh, yeah, uh, like the little pellets, and then they put it with oil and they make it into an injectable. Well, the dude was making it in his basement, so I tell you, yeah. you know how safe that was. But you know, I had <laughs> talked about that. You know, just basically like, hey, when you get into it, it's good to have a coach, right? So you have post cycle therapy because I had serious psychological issues. And uh, I, I'm pretty open about it because literally it was like, you know, I was in the gym and relatively strong naturally, and and some giant motherfucker came up and was like, dude. You should get on some gear. I bet your body would respond well. Well, next thing you know, I went from 210 to 270 and bench pressing like 350 to 520. And I'm like, I really like this. But I couldn't walk from like me to the other end of the building without getting winded, which was kind of a problem for backpack hunting. And it's just it's something I tried. But Rogan had seen photos of me when I had on was on it. And, I, you know, I looked I was I got pretty damn big and so he had just mentioned it talked about it asked about it whatever so anyway that's where that came from nice what were you in the military then no i played in the nfl for 10 years and then um yeah and then that's that's why i look the way i do i'm I'm actually well this is my slim down version so i used to be a Mm -hmm. lot bigger a sleek 265 no i'm 278 278 yeah i Mm. fucking ate too much this weekend (laughs) barbecue texas yeah you do look like from the tiny screenshot, you do look like one big motherfucker, I have to say. And that's from a little one by two screen. Well, how tall are you? Uh, I'm six six, just under six six, like six five and seven eighths in the NFL. Yeah, I would imagine you have a hell of a time getting anything to fit, like any type of backpack clothing. Yeah. You ever, uh, you watch open season where that big ass grizzly has the little day pack with his snacks? Mm-mm. That's got to be you with most back most backpacks. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I, ironically, uh, I worked it or not ironically, but I worked as a contractor for Naval Special Warfare, and we still do. So I did that for over ten years, and um, that's actually how I found the Kafaru stuff. And their backpacks are pretty good, so I still use all that stuff. It seems like durable as shit. Yeah, well, we can custom customize stuff, which helps because I mean, we get some fatties that definitely are extending that forty-eight to fifty-inch waist belt size line but we've got some you know just because we can form uh you know our frames around really really big big dudes so we occasionally we'll get a guy that comes in that i almost want to snap a photo of and be like like a guy your size like hey we did it we got it to fit this fucking giant can you believe that because we have to customize shoulder straps and everything just to fit around that curvature of your upper body because you're your chest and your arms are so big, it'll rub them raw if you backpack in just from, from swinging. So, you know, from your arms swinging back and forth. No, it, it definitely, uh, uh, living in this environment, I mean, we, I used to live in, I'm from California. It's, uh, it definitely doesn't pay to be a big dude. Like, especially when I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, go, I wear like a 38 waist and uh, pants. And I'll like I'll see dudes that are like big dudes. I'm like, fuck, man, I feel t- I feel hot. And this is awful for me. I can't imagine being big and out of shape. Oh, yeah, no, that's no shit. I would imagine, too, with the skinny jean culture coming around, the you, you have to, like, there's specific pants I can wear. And occasionally, like, I'll grab one not paying attention and put it on. And my wife's like, what do you turn into a millennial? And I'm like, I just <laughs> grabbed them. I didn't know. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 44. And so, and raised, you know, tiny town logging community, you wore Carhartts and, and uh, you know, Levi 550s or whatever. And then now, 
even the like the the skinny jean sweatpants thing i'm having trouble wrapping my head around i'm gonna have to work on that like my daughter's uh uh boyfriend who's from austin he's a parkour dude like a little ninja okay um, that's interesting <laughs> and he wears uh skinny because i've made fun of skinny jeans and flat rims forever on the podcast so i was meeting him for the first time and she like was panicking driving around trying to find him normal pants uh <laughs> worried my first impression of was going to be bad because of skinny jeans <laughs> uh, i just figured they were normal pants it's just most dudes don't really lift weights enough to have bigger legs so they're just they're bringing them down to yeah, make they're them just look ma making them look like they're okay man i remember so my now wife when we were living in southern california uh man she put me on a skinny jeans kick and it was a nightmare and I think like the best thing I've done is cut those skinny jeans off and made some like really tight jorts. Like I just feel the natural in a pair of jorts that are mid thigh. You know, uh, you know, I'm a fan of jorts. Yeah. Yeah. So DIY jorts out of your skinny jeans, ladies and gentlemen. And it works with skinny sweatpants as well. You could just pop those bad boys off at the knee and get rid of that, that, that calf hug. Forget about it. But it's, I don't, uh, I just, I've gotten to the point which, you know, you know, back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, giant gym bag, pre-prep meal, two hours in the gym, right? Uh, well, now I've limited it to I only wear boots all the time. So I, I have a gym at my house now, but I got to the point I didn't have time to, to with work to change clothes. So I was like, fuck it. I just would go in and work and work out my hiking pants and my my workout boots, which led me to wear pants all the time which led a lot of my friends to literally think, you know, like that bald dude that has a hat all the time and you don't know he's bald and one day he pulls his hat off and you're like, what the, you're bald? <laughs> so they, they literally, everybody thought I had like skinny little legs and uh, just cause I always wore pants. And that was a big thing like in the gym that I went to was, you know, you don't skip leg day and sure. you know, you get these huge dudes upper body with little legs. So it's, at that point, I'm like, I'm just not going to be that guy. I don't care really how my legs look. But I don't want to be made fun of. So leg day was a big thing. So I had, we were on low crawling and I had knee pads on and like these gaiters to keep shit out of my boots. And my buddy's like, what the fuck is wrong with your calf? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it has a heartbeat. Because every time I push off low crawling because it was pinched up, I'm like, well, dude, I, I, have, I have big calves. He's like, you don't have little legs? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, I said, why? He's because you wear pants all the time. And I'm like, dude, it's just quicker. I don't have time to change. <laughs> so I'm like, here, I'll, you know, it's, it's whatever, you know, no homo. So I, I dropped my pants to show him, like, dude, look, I have big legs, but they were so freaking white. He's like, dude, you're scaring off the animals. Like, <laughs> but it was on. So. My other buddy, Frank, my partner on the podcast, I'm on a stock and we're like nine, 10 miles in and the pants were loud in the willow. So I, I literally, I pulled a, a South Cox. He's a, a, another stick boat guy. I dropped my pants and immediately I feel my phone go off. It's a text. He's like, dude, put your pants back on. All the animals are running because they haven't seen sun in like four years, probably <laughs> five years. So, I gotta, I gotta start wearing shorts earlier in the season because my, I mean, my leg. Remember that dude Powder? That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. White? No, yeah, I look like Powder from the waist down. It's pretty pathetic. So you get some so bleached white stems down there, huh? Ooh. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Hey, you gotta get the tanning bed in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, or just come to Texas. Like, just come to Texas for about a weekend, and and uh, man, like, 
I swear, like, yeah, like we get like sunburn at the beginning of the season, and like, man, just instantly I'm like tan for the rest of the year, and then all of a sudden the sun goes away and just whiten up. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I um. Even this morning, my my wife, I was with the new dogs, right? They got to take a crap. It's three thirty in the morning, and she woke up and. Later on, she told me, she's like, yeah, I was walking to go to the bathroom. I knew you were on the porch. I could see your legs. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're getting roasted from all angles, dude. dude. This, is, uh, this is good because um, uh, when you, we're the same age. So, like, you grow up in a generation of people where, like, you know, you're just kind of used to everybody taking shots on you. And you take shots on them. And now in this environment, people get so offended so easily. I'm like, that was pretty funny. You should laugh at that one. And people just don't have any sense of humor anymore. Yeah, I, I man, I tell you. I, in the industry, in the outdoor industry, and I got a really kind of a bad rap for uh, being like too blunt. And I didn't, I don't mean anything by it. It's just way quicker. Um, and, you know, the circle of friends I hang out with are, are pretty rough crowd. And so, like, you know, I've told this before, like, I, I missed a deer. And so my buddies up in BC texted me and said, uh, You can't talk to me again until you don't suck anymore. Text me once you've killed something. And that's just kind of the, certain, the group I hang out with where we're hard on each well, to me, that's normal. And to other people, that's like a big insult. And my wife's like, you know, you really have to think about the age group you're talking to at this specific time because younger guys aren't used to that, you know, direct kind of uh, insult or not, whatever. I'm like, to me, it's motivation. If I'm being a, you know, whatever, weakling, I need somebody to say, hey, you know, toughen the fuck up, basically. It doesn't work like that in this generation nowadays. A lot of participation trophies, um, a lot of accolades for not doing shit, which has been hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. Well, like, guess, really hard. <laughs> I guess as as the business has grown, there's got to be new talent that's coming in, that's younger generation. Are you are you insulated from that at all, or do you have to take that into consideration at uh, Kafaru? Oh, yeah. my I uh, I don't do many pep talks. <laughs> Who? Uh, what's the name uh, of the uh, what's, what's the name of the guy that started Kafaru? Patrick Smith. Patrick Smith. That's right. And he was at yeah, like yeah. Uh, was it um, uh, like Mystery? Was he one of the guy? Uh, I forgot like how that like was it Mystery Ranch? So, no. So our competitor. It's actually a cool story. Mystery Ranch was owned before was Dana Gleason's own Dana Gleason owns Mystery Ranch, and before that he owned Dana Design. Patrick Smith owned Mountain Smith mm. and then owned Kafaru. Same time frame, same, you know, everything as far as the transition over. And then with with Patrick, who's who uh, me and my partner buying the company from, you know, he was um that's one of the biggest things he liked about me is the amount of time I stayed in the in the in the wilderness or backpacked and uh one of the one of the biggest things we had in common or what kind of started that relationship as far as the father son kind of dynamic because he, he never had a son mm-hmm. um but even he you know with with him and like my crowd of people like he would he thought it was funny but i would have like some team guys around or uh you know fighters like i think you know we, gladiators unleashed is a dude that lives by me and he's one of gates coaches and so or, or construction workers right there wasn't one like soft hearted person around me at any time. And so that starts to, you just, it, you know, it becomes part of just your, your character of how you handle things. And I've had to tone that back and I'm mild compared to how I used to be. And I'm still pretty bad. Like there's times where I have to be careful for, for HR reasons and, 
you know, getting sued of what I said. Well, a, skinny, a kid was sagging at work, and I walked by, and I said, like, hey, pull those fucking pants up, or I'm going to yank your pants up to your neck. And my guy, my HR guy, was like, dude, you're going to get a suit. You can't talk to employees that way. I'm like, sure, I can't. I, I, just, I just did. <laughs> well, I've had to tone that back a bit. Mm-hmm. Did he pull his pants up? Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. can't argue with yeah. results. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I got to, I got to, there's shit I'm sure I did, you know, that was looked down upon, you know, like we were talking same age group. I'm sure there was something I was doing back then that an older generation didn't like. Oh, I, said, yeah. I have to try. You know, and honestly, I don't care if you sag your pants or not. If you work real hard and, and you're, you know, not not weak, I can get around the pants sagging thing. Not my first choice, but, I, you know, <laughs> if you work hard and get after it, then that's the most important thing. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think strength is coveted above everything else. I found that um, stronger people are usually easier to be around, but a little more resilient and uh, tend to be able to be more helpful, like trying to basically reset a well thing, you know, like a well pump. I mean, it's just... Man, it just seems to work everything, like, uh, especially for what you're talking about doing. I mean, being able to go out and, I mean, dude, I was, uh, I was sitting here, like, putting myself in this situation because I, I got, uh, my kids are younger. I got two girls that are eight, little twins, and then I got a boy that's four. And um, I, didn't, I didn't get married and have kids until I retired from the NFL. I saw what a disaster being married and having a family in the NFL was and choose to avoid it and, uh, until I got out. And, um, but, like, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Being gone for like seven or eight months and being able to do that with a family, I mean, dude, that's that's incredible. Yeah, it's tough. My, I tell you, my daughter has been a, a trooper because I was a single father. Um, you know, she's she's 19 now, but, you know, through all through, you know, basically from she was six on, you know, when I would have her in the summer, I just drug her ass everywhere with me, um, which at the time I was like is this a good idea? Well, as it, you know, as it turns out, she ended up being a well, very well-rounded kid because she can, you know, photography, shoot a gun. She's not, you know, I treated her just like I would have treated anyone else. If she was laying up on us on the hike in, I'd be like, Hey, suck it up. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you're not playing Nintendo, get the fuck up the hill. And now that kid is, um, uh, it's super tough. I mean, that kid is, I mean, she's, for a 19-year-old kid, she's definitely not not the norm, but I think it's just because of how I raised her, having her with me all the time. Sure. Does she have a, a passion for hunting as well? Yeah, well, I shouldn't say hunting. She, has, she doesn't mind it. She certainly has a passion for the outdoors and, and shooting, and she's hunted some, but she hasn't been able to do it just with school. Um, she graduated early and, and did a bunch of college courses ahead of time. And then being in Texas, she was only able to hunt a little bit on their land and in, in, in that dripping springs area or wherever uh yep. new Braunfels, i think is what it is so but yeah i mean she's they just moved up here her and her boyfriend and they're out every weekend backpacking and fishing so it's it's good to know that it passed on yeah yeah that's great man yeah no it's a pretty area like uh drip or um uh, new brothels bernie that whole area down there is uh it's pretty nice i mean especially when you start heading over to like ubaldi like i've hunted in ubaldi and then like that whole frio river valley is incredible yeah, and I, you know some of those places I've been to a bunch, and others just driven through, and it's it's weird. Some people's opinion, including mine, of Texas pre going down there and hanging out and post is is way different. I mean, I will say Austin's got some there's some weird people in Austin, but overall, like Texas has some of the coolest people, and so it, Texas has produced some of the the best soldiers and and uh, you know, in history, I mean, you guys just seem to shit out world-class warriors uh, for what is in the water, I guess. Um, 
uh, in Texas. It's, it's amazing. So that's great, man. So let's, let's venture back a little bit. I know I kind of scratched the surface of this and we got a little sidetracked. So is this what you imagined you'd be doing for a living as you first started hunting? Cause it sounds like it's kind of been a lifelong endeavor for you. When did this whole thing get started? Yeah. Um, man, no, it was, you know, I, it's kind of weird. I, you know, my, my big goal, well, you get a family and things change, right? But as sure. a kid, I was always, always in the outdoors. And I was on a trail crew team when I was each summer where you hike the wilderness areas, clearing off trails and shit, running chainsaws at a young age. And then I joined the army. I was in the army for a while and I got out, really didn't know what I was going to do. So I started doing commercial high rises construction. Um, well, when I got divorced, I kind of, um, I, I guess told myself, Hey, look, whatever it takes, just figure out a way to, to, you know, be in the, in the mountains as much as I possibly could, how I was going to do that. I had, had no idea. I certainly knew I didn't want to be a cop or anything like that. It just wasn't in my DNA. I had the wrong temperament. And, uh, I started doing gear reviews and, and met this, is the short version, obviously I met Patrick, he and I clicked and, you know, not too long after that, I became the president of the company and, the more people learned about me in, in gear reviews and, and the different knowledge I had, it just pretty soon it became an all-consuming 24-7, 365 job. Like I did a Q&A yesterday on Instagram and I answered so many questions in the first two hours, they took away the option to ask a question because I'd answered 500 questions inside of like two hours. And, and just of general knowledge stuff. And it's no different. Like with you guys, if you're in a bodybuilding or powerlifting industry, how many people do you know that actually really truly know what the fuck they're doing? That number is pretty small. And so to get good info, you got a lot of guys that like me that I lifted some and I have a, a, a grasp of a few things, but I have enough of a grasp to probably get some really fat dude to lose 50, 70 pounds. But after that, that's about the you know extent of my knowledge where you guys more professionals or how many people played in the NFL? Not many. So you can ask somebody that made it through college, but he still doesn't know what you know about all the intricate details of all of it. And, and on the hunting side and specifically backpacking, survival and gear, you know, just kind of took over and, and hell, I don't even know what else I would do now if, if I couldn't do it. it. It's consumed my life for so long. Oh, that's fantastic, man. And I guess it leads to like an industry leading product, right? Is if you're immersed in that lifestyle to the point where it's like, man, it's in your DNA. Um, I can only imagine that that's where the success of the, the organization is. You can contribute it to that. Yeah, it helps a lot. And I mean, again, like with Patrick, he, if I was, you know, has been spending too much time in the office in the off season, you know, he would just come in and be like, Hey, get, you know, get out of here, go backpacking for four or five days. And I mean, how cool is that? Right. Like get out there, test different products, get your ass out of the office. And, and you don't find very many employers like that where he encouraged me, you know, he wanted me in the field at least a hundred nights. I wanted me in the wilderness at least 150 nights a year testing products. Mm -hmm. Damn. So what, I guess uh, I'm not too too familiar with pack hunting or anything like that. I've more kind of waterfowl when I grew up and some deer hunting out of tree stands and shit like that. So nothing too grueling because my old man inherently is lazy. Like he doesn't, he wants to work the least amount to bag whatever he's hunting, you know? But, yeah. um, but it's always intrigued me like this kind of more, how is it fair to say primitive approach to hunting where you're like, you're hoofing it and you're stalking and you're going up into like kind of the, 
the extreme environment to where a lot of these animals are able to survive because predators and humans can't fucking get there, right? I mean, is that the essence of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, predators, those little bastards can get <laughs> everywhere. But, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the initial, like, it's, it's, it's hard to dis- describe, but as, uh, as I brought up before, I guess a good way to look at it is um, anybody can play football a very, very small fraction of percentage of the planet can actually play in the NFL or, or NBA if you're basketball or, you know, pick a sport. Well, backpack hunting is not much, you know, different, not, not, not in the same, but it, you know, you have to be able to survive land navigation. I mean, to be a, you know, not to just go live in the woods for a couple of days and come back out, but literally to be at a level where you can stay out there for an, an infinite, an infinite amount of time and, you know, kill an animal and pack it out and then eat it later to be good at that. The number just gets smaller. And so I think initially for some people, it was just, it just was what I did. It just made, I mean, I don't know how to, it's just, it's all I knew, you know, it's just how I hunted. It's kind of hard to explain. It's just what I did. Well, and it caught on and got this kind of craze and the out like anything else. There's a lot of people that, you know, I hate to say live in their mom's basement and hypothesize and compute and get spreadsheets and weigh shit and talk about lightweight gear, but don't do it that much. But they enjoy that. And that's great. Um, it's just there's a finite amount of people that are able to, to go out and, and do it. And it's not necessarily your big, small or anything. Usually it's like mentally tough. I mean, you know, you just like the suffering of backpack hunting because if I had to sell someone on it, it's like, uh, yeah, well, you're going to starve. You may pee blood. You're not going to have a lot of water. Sleep deprivation's a bitch. And oh, by the way, at the end of it, you're going to have 150 pounds on your back coming out. <laughs> you know, have fun. You know, like, Sounds it's amazing. A hard sell unless you're, yeah, you just got to be into it, right? Well, so. I would just like the fact that we don't have to answer any cell phones or emails. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, like, no, you know, fuck, just being able to go out there. I mean, it just... Yeah, uh, years ago, man, when uh, when I retired from the NFL and I started this company, I got hit up by a dude who uh, asked me for some help with his training, and he was he was going to hunt uh, the big Roosevelt elks in uh, in, yeah. in Oregon, and he's like, man, it's like uh, I got four buddies. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pull one, but we're all gonna quarter it and drag it out. I'm like, how big are these things? And he's like, they're probably thousand twelve hundred pounds. And he's and so it was pretty cool. Helped him develop a whole training program, and uh, he ended up with a pretty decent little sled. So he could drag pieces out, and it was cool to to kind of watch him uh, go through the training and kind of help him develop a training program for it. And then he went out there, and I remember the pictures he sent me was like, "Holy shit, I want to go shoot one of those things." Yeah, that's where I'm from originally. It's uh, like the jungle in some parts of that that area, you know. And even like, uh, you know, that to go into any more depth, right? Like we we debone the animals, so we we basically are like a processor when we're out there to cut the weight to get the the bone off or the meat off the bone. And then keeping the meat um, preserved in case you have to take more than one or two, three trips, whatever it takes, especially when you're multiple miles in. All that, you know, you just pick it up over time. You you know, you're, you're able to learn more. You know, the more you do, the more you learn, usually by fucking up, right? I don't know how many times I've almost killed myself or somebody will say, I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. I thought of that once too, but yeah, don't do that. You know, that's bad. Don't, don't try that. And it's just part of, part of learning on, on, you know, that again, with the backpack hunting, um, you, uh, it takes a toll on the body. There's a shelf life for it. So 
you know, for me, probably by the time I'm 55, I'm going to have to own llamas or something because <laughs> knock on wood, my knees have been good, but way too many 120 plus pound pack outs. And eventually my knees are going to start, you know, start to go, you know, I've been lucky so far. So there is a shelf life on it. It's just, it's what I enjoy doing. Well, so, dude, what, what, like, what are you doing? You said you have a gym. What are you doing to, I guess, augment the lifestyle or try to combat some of the wear and tear because there's a ton of shit we could probably help you with man there's so much stuff dude like um uh like you could go infinitely down into the deep uh, deepest pool of you know like performance enhancing and inter- and i don't mean with the term like when people hear the term performance enhancing they think drugs i look at performance enhancing as like anything that i have available to me to increase performance yeah and i mean i started to dive into that a lot more probably four years ago on the nutritional aspect um whether it be some simple as like krill oil and turmeric curcumin. Like I started to study that and my diet in general, what I was actually just throwing down my, my mouth, right. down my throat. Um, and, you know, and then one of the things, uh, you know, the, at one time I trained with 80, 90 pound packs all the time. And now I'm like a huge advocate of not doing that because I train now with 45 to 55 and I have no difference mm-hmm. coming out. Right. And I was taking, you know, potentially life off my knees and my, my body. I used to be over six one and now I'm barely, I still say I'm six one, but I'm not, I've compressed my, my body from wearing a pack too much, um, you know, over time or just age. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely be interested in it. Cause that's another thing you talk to a, a nutritionist and try to explain to them, you know, Hey, I'm starving myself for part of the year and I don't get to mm-hmm. drink much water and you know, I've had to drink out of elk wallows before because that's just all the water that was around and bugs and shit floating in it. And it's like, hey, um, so anyway, what can I take to, uh, you know, elongate my life? And they're like, what the fuck is this guy doing for a living? You know, because they don't believe you. Sure, have sure. No, we got so, like, yeah. one thing John has, I will give you, big guy, is like a Rolodex of people who are never, like they're not phased by the the craziness of some of the requests we were t- like, I'm thinking of Inkladon. Yeah. Like yeah. Aaron, if we were to introduce you to one of our buddies, one of John's longtime friends out in Arizona runs a, a clinic called Cosenta. He'd be like, Oh, this sounds great. Yeah. I could figure something out for you. You know, like it's just, he loves that, that crazy shit. And then even in, like uh, Parsley or, yeah. or Keith Barr, like those yeah. dudes who are all in, in this space, they, they're up for that type of, Craziness. I remember years ago when I was playing in Kansas City, we um, uh, we had our season opener in Denver, and I remember I went out there and uh, dude got smoked season opener, and I just got crushed at mile high as it happens as I had never played out there, and so like I knew we were going to play out there again the following year, so I hit up my doc buddy and was like, hey, you know, like uh, how do I train for this? Is there anything I specific? And he was like, uh, let me let me figure something out, and so I get this package like a week later, and it's this big box and this whole deal, and it was a tent that you put your bed in and then it had a machine that basically pumped in and removed oxygen from the tent. And like, you know, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, hypoxic training. And so I ended up sleeping at like Mount Everest base camp for a year. And, uh, sure enough, fucking dude, when we went to go play in mile high, I'm fucking sprinting around there. Like it's nothing. People are like, you okay. I'm like, I feel amazing. And so I think that there is a solution for everything. And these, if you, if I recall, John, these were your single years when you were also like, maybe had lady friends come home. You're like, please enter the tent. You're yeah, about- these, these poor girls <laughs> yeah. were like, 
<laughs> like, like couldn't breathe. I'm like, ah, it's a kind of a weird asphyxiation, you know, uh, uh, fucking what's his name? Uh, Michael Hutchinson in excess without the belt around your neck. Don't worry about it. Just You're close your it. eyes. You'll be fine. You're going to love it. It's, I had that in reverse. Uh, I, I was so committed to, to hunting. I didn't want to spend money on furniture for a while. I slept on a Thermarest air pad, a backpacking air pad for like two years in a single bedroom apartment. And I'd bring chicks over and they're like, you know, the fucker is only 24 inches wide and 72 <laughs> inches long. It's what I, it weighs like, you know, 13. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so eventually I had to grow up and buy a bed. Uh, so but yeah, I, I think um, you, I would definitely be interested to hearing anything you guys have to say specifically on, uh, you know, I've been fairly lucky. I ripped, you know, normal shit, bicep off and shit like that, but nothing crazy, but my knees are what I'm, I'm worried about anymore. If I crouch down for more than a couple minutes, I, I need somebody to help me get back up. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely, um, they're getting older <laughs> on my knees. Well, I mean, uh, there's always a lot of like, I mean, if, if I was in your situation, I'd be, uh, I'd find somebody like a doc Inkladon and get blood work done before and after, you know, and, and to really see like, Hey, uh, you know, this is what it looked like in the off season before I went on my hunting expedition. And this is what it looks like after. So you can kind of understand like the demands and like the, the drain on the body, whether it be like micro macronutrients or whatever it looks like. I mean, it could be stress, it could be hormones, it could be a bunch of different things. It very well might be the fact that when you get back, all of a sudden there's like a rebound effect where you've been, you know, you've dug yourself so deep in a hole that now each time as you get a little bit older, it's a little harder to climb out. So I think that there's a a pretty smart, like, plan of attack that if you put that in place could probably mitigate some of these things. There's there's definitely, and not on purpose, but when I got on TRT, um, and and my doctor's super cool, um, mostly like I had uh, the little white pills you take uh, to equal your, anyway, a rat ate them once, right? And uh, I'm like, hey, I uh, I need some of the, more of those little white pills. She's like, why? I said, uh, you're not going to believe this shit, but a fucking pack rat ate them all. And she was like, what? And I'm like, uh, so I explained to her my lifestyle. And, you know, as far as like, you know, injections, obviously on backpack hunts and everything else. And they were, you know, super cool dealing with it. But one of the things that she had found out just happenstance was the toll that your uh, kidneys and liver on a 14 day backpack hunt for the lack of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, I went on a, a very strenuous, why well, pissed blood twice from lack of water. Um, she was like, your liver levels are all screwed up. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you drink? And I'm like, no, I haven't touched alcohol in 15 years. And she's like, uh, did you take anything different? You like, know, no, no, nothing. So something on that backpack hunt, which, you know, neither here nor there, but really, screwed up my liver levels and i would imagine a lot of it was the hydration level i was at was just you know peaks giant peaks and valleys because you'll go you know when you don't have water you'll go you know several hours without it you can only live for a couple days without water so it it obviously is taking a toll probably as well on your joints because you're they're not hydrated oh for sure yeah and muscles and the whole deal taking ligaments i mean there's uh uh, we had a guy on the podcast guy named keith barr who does a ton of stuff with like um uh ligament and connective tissues talked about like collagen and like a you know taking like a collagen supplement to help with that i mean pretty interesting like i think that uh you know as you're getting older probably the mentality of just like hey let me kick the fucking door off of the hinges and drag it with me mm-hmm. like you probably have to be a little bit smarter as you're getting into this if you want to have longevity or just fucking you know put the hammer down and put your foot on the accelerator and try to go for as long as you can but 
I mean, it sounds like something you enjoy, so you might as well look at it and say, hey, if I can do something here on the front end, uh, you know, pre- mm-hmm. prevent it. Because I think, um, I mean, and I saw this as a young NFL player where I thought I was fucking invincible. And it wasn't until I got, like, in my, like, early 30s that I realized I was like, oh, shit, like, I'm not recovering like I used to, and I have to kind of dial this thing in a little bit. Yeah, and, I mean, you look like an avocado on a freaking toothpick, especially with my fat head on some of these hunts when I get back. <laughs> you know, eyes shrunken in and everything else. And I pre, you know, I try to take, you know, you can only carry so much. So 3,500 calories a day, you're averaging about, you know, 100 calories um an ounce so you know you do the math whatever you're 32 you're a minimum of two pounds just a little over per day and i'm still in a caloric deficit i just can't carry any more weight and i'm very good as far as my uh you know the the nutritional side of things i still you know i try to stay at 30 30 uh 40 as far as like i'm 30 percent fat 30 percent protein and then 40 percent carbs Mm -hmm. when i'm back there do complex carbs you know i'm very good but even you know, here I'm taking multiple pills each day as far as, like you said, collagen and, um, you know, I take turmeric and krill probiotics. I don't take any of that shit hardly when I'm back there unless it's a shorter trip where I can carry it. Sure. And so, again, it's 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 different. But um, what you need to yeah. do is, is hire a dude to carry all the extra shit you need. So you need to bring somebody with you as your fucking pack mule. And I, I tell you what, if I brought one of those Sherpas, I'd feel like a bitch because those guys are about 110 pounds and carry shit on their head. Dude, uh, on the like, dude, I, I'm so amazed, like, when they uh, they showed the dudes, like, um, uh, doing, like, the Everest deal, and these guys are, like, in all this fucking, you know, expedition gear, and they're climbing up, and then, like, all of a sudden you'll see, like, a shot, and, like, there's a Sherpa dude in, like, a sweatshirt with, like, a hat on, like, carrying all their shit next to him <laughs> with, like, you know, and they sandals don't have on. Say, so, hey, man, we, we were just sitting here rapping about some... Uh, like what could how if we were kicking our own asses seven months out of the year, you know, humping sixty pounds of gear and then a hundred pounds in and out. Like what what tip, what training stuff would we use? And we're there's this uh, new tech that we just got introduced to that's like hyper oxygenated training. So it's like think about breathing in ninety three percent ninety three percent pure mm-hmm. oxygenated air. As opposed to regular air, which is what twenty or something like that, twenty three percent, something like that. And there's some uh, interesting. I just had some blood work done on a test that one of our buddies was running with this thing, and I was showing John uh, the changes in in white blood cell count and natural killer cells, and like there's this kind of peak and valley. And the theory is like if there is any sort of pathogens floating around in the blood or dormant in the body as they come out from exercise your immune system is primed ready to attack it and just like kind of general health overall well-being and uh healing improves so you basically are wolverine well there there was a really pretty fascinating thing i mean this man this conversation goes almost over 20 years but uh years ago i remember i went out to doc Inkledon's place and he had a machine that you got into and it was like looked like a big egg and when they got in it it kind of made a bunch of funny noises and what it did is it simulated um the pressures that you would feel at different leagues underneath the sea and what they found was that this machine, they could pretty much wipe out all viruses. So he had a dude that they did testing on that had like genital herpes or some herpes simplex. Well, I don't know, which whatever the herpes is. And uh, basically eradicated the herpes. And uh, the machine was pretty interesting. And then I remember uh, when Tom sent me the hypoctic chamber, we were talking and he's like, you know, um, 
people that live at altitude uh, tend to be more durable than people that live at sea level. You know, if you look at like the Sherpas and some of these things, like they have some pretty big uh, capacity. And then we've recently got onto this idea of uh, training in pure oxygen. There was a guy here in Austin who had this technology that he brought to Tom to test. And the co- and the, the question uh, or the question that I posed is, okay, over the 20 years I've seen you have three different machines, one that's been hyperoxygen, one that's been hypoctic, and then one that's simulated different leagues underneath the sea that have all had a similar effect in terms of raising um, natural killer cells. Could it be the fact that like these different environments stimulate something? Like, for example, if I live, you know, you live at altitude and then you go down to sea level and you kind of go back and forth, especially in kind of a training environment, is there something to that? And that was, uh, he kind of paused and was like, man, that could be, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're simulating something that people did all through, you know, through our uh, um, evolution. You know, like, in, and as I'm listening to you talk about, like, hey, I live here and I'm going on these longer hunts. I mean, probably that's more similar to what uh, um, the evolution of, of humanity looks like. I mean, you know, uh, man's probably the most efficient hunter just for the mere fact that we can pretty much run anything into the ground. And we have the ability to, like, persevere. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, if you read any of the, um, who is a Steve Rinella's uh, Buffalo book, you know, uh, the ability to, to, you know, hunt species off of the face of this planet, man's pretty good at that type of stuff so yeah i, I mean i, I uh, you know obviously ten thousand feet isn't that high in altitude um but i have to say i mean since i've lived above nine thousand, which is three years um i haven't been sick well i sort of got sick once for like three days but basically i haven't been sick in everywhere else i go uh, as you can imagine um like we, we went to to alaska last year and you know on the hike in I really didn't breathe hard. I sweated a little bit, but in comparison to the, the people, I um, it was kind of, I would say it was a joke, but I literally was like, okay, my daily training to get home was much more difficult than that hike in. But, you know, when you ha- when you live at this altitude, anytime you drop down, obviously you're, you're performing at a much higher level than someone that's been living at sea level. Um, I can go longer, obviously much longer. Uh, I sleep better, obviously, probably because, you know, more oxygen, I would guess. But you, you just your body is not burning out at the same level because you're so used to living with less oxygen. I, I'd i be interested to see um, studies on that because, um, I mean, there, there's something to it. I mean, I don't know how many Sherpas you've met, but for a very small package, they pack one hell of a wallop as far as what they can do living off I mean, I don't know what you guys had this morning, but I had all kinds of technology to make it, right? I got a coffee machine. I got a, you know, bake oven to make toast and shit. These guys live off next to nothing, uh, but they're living at 16,000 feet. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? 
This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes one through three. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. The uh, we had um, John uh, John Howard, uh, who's a guy here in Austin. He was on the podcast, and uh, kind of one of those interesting points where, like, you're having a conversation about something, and then the guy drops something where you're like, "Wait a minute, we should do a whole podcast on that." And he had a deal where uh, he ended up going to South America and like living with people like you know Machu Picchu, that type of level, like up in the Andes, and uh, talked about like. Uh, how these guys dealt with medicine and how they lived and like water and like just the like they're um, uh, like extremely stingy with resources like you know like no water goes to waste and just how they live and he's like you know uh, there's something about like the resiliency of those individuals that live at altitude that's that's very very different yeah, it is and I, you know uh, obviously as a culture especially in the u.s we're pretty soft i mean ov- overall I, I you know go to the movie theater you see it like firsthand i feel fat just going to a movie theater because everybody around me is 400 pounds and you go to other countries um there's not a lot wasted i mean people kill for what we throw away uh which is totally on the subject of high altitude Mm -hmm. but uh, we do take a lot of things for granted here that that is a fact (laughs) we we had this conversation yesterday i was um uh, i was watching a bunch of clips of ann rand uh talking and i i have this idea of like objective objectivism which was uh, her take on this and i have a i'm trying to basically write like an, an article relating it back to strength training like there's certain truths that we know to be true regardless of what people say and as i was listening to her talk it was the guy that was uh interviewing her was arguing with her a little bit and she's like you know why is it that uh i grew up in a communist socialist society and i came here and i'm speaking on the evils of it and the problems of people that have lived in capitalism that have never uh, been involved in it, argue with her about the efficacy, like, oh, but what if it was done benevolent? You know, this time it would be benevolent. And it's pretty interesting, like, uh, how the people that come from those places are like, this is the worst of existence. You guys don't understand it. And you have, you know, you look in, there's Portland and there's people trying to burn this stuff down and we got to tear the system down. And it's, uh, it's just an interesting thing where people that come from that are like, yeah. you don't it, want this. It, it is very, um, interesting and as far as like the the u.s goes um yeah other parts of the world too 
it's the same with with hunting for example you see um somebody goes and kills a lion from the u.s and the village wants the lion gone uh you know it's an older lion it doesn't let the younger lions breed it's past its breeding time so it's doing no good for the population of lions because it won't let the other lions breed so an american comes over there and shoots it he gets death threats he you know he's chastised and gives him like 50 grand and gives him 50 grand yeah, which feeds actually, like the, every village uh, you know probably closer to 250,000 same thing though right it's a lot more than 50 grand and it's like yeah those people wanted us there but but we uh, as americans are chastising this dude even though the culture that you know where this lion lives hates lions and and it's a problem and it's not helping the population same kind of shit just different pile it, it's amazing to me and one thing we can't stop is time, right? I mean, everything is going to die. And in the case of some of these animals that are about to die, that are not letting other animals breed, if they're going to get that much in a poverty stricken village, that much money, and they get the meat from it, it's like, well, why wouldn't you, you know, help out that village? Cause this, this animal is hurting the population and it's going to die in six months or, or less. So Aaron, is that, is that an extreme example, uh, you know, the like this lion hunting, or is that kind of like across the board, how it all shakes Man, out I tell you. Uh, with different species or different areas, or do you know? On, um, on this, you know, it's, it's, when I say good grasp, the, when you talk about, I think what you're asking me, like you look at uh, rhinos, um, heavily poached, so I understand where people are coming from on that, but you look at rhinos and lions, even giraffes, uh, if this is what you're asking, those bears are the same way when a male hits past its pre breeding and it cannot breed anymore it will beat the shit out of anything around trying to breed uh and not let the population grow it's not going to let those animals breed so it's a it's a, a hindrance to the population that's any predator or any dominant species i don't know if you've ever seen giraffes neck whip each other but you get an old male giraffe once it neck whips a younger giraffe and it flips it it's going to die. Can't get back on its feet. It lays there and dies. What's a crazy, crazy to me is as Americans, we chastise these people and it's a, it's a vote of, um, you know, you're, it's, you're voting with, um, you're not using science-based uh, facts to vote. It, it's, um, you know, you're, you're basically voting off of um, human emotion and it's, it's not good. <laughs> Well, I mean, people fail at the margins of their experience and because it's so easy to, to you know, carry this moral high ground through Instagram and social media. Um, I'm always amazed at people's willingness to share. That's the thing that's blown my mind. Like um, a lot of stuff with my family, I keep like kind of personal. I don't want to share it with the world. And I'm amazed at people's like uh, desire to share some of these things. Um, I got a buddy who's a big game hunter and uh, he, he told me the story of actually shooting an, an elephant in Africa. And uh, he ended up killing this old bull. And he goes, man, they started beating a drum. And he goes, hundreds of people came out of the bush, cut this thing up. Like it fed like a dozen villages. Uh, and the amount of money he paid ended up supplying, like I think for almost like six months, an anti-poaching group. And he's like, this was his old bull that probably was on his last legs. And he's like, man, the amount of good that it did. And he goes, it's, you know, it was a, it was a pretty positive thing. And I was like, oh, you have any pictures? He's like, uh, I got one picture, yeah, but I'm never showing no. it. I'm never. I'm not showing any of these people. These people are crazy. Well, He's like, you know, like they. Dude, I just got into a battle with a guy on Facebook, and this is a hunter that I got into a battle with. One of my buddies has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars his company to uh, anti-poaching. Right? He's went over there and hunted down poachers. Uh, is this like a vet paw? 
Is it Vetpa? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's affiliated yeah. with it. You probably know the dude. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I, don't I, uh, I donate to those guys. Like, if I'm going to give to a charity, I donate to a Vetpa. Well, you know, what those what those people do, right? If you don't, you know, they're if you don't know what they do, right? I can understand it's hard to grasp the amount of good they're doing, specifically in Africa. Well, my buddy that was over there, his his wife is from Africa, and he went over and he shot a hippo for the same reason. It's about to die, and it's beating the shit out of these other hippos. He posts a photo of it. He's a big dude, right? He's, he's built like you, and he's got a gun behind it, and he's just kind of kneeling down, and immediately uh, hunters get on and start bashing trophy hunting and bat. I mean, literally we're eating our own. And I got on there and I said, Hey, I, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but I know the backstory of this. And I know that guy personally is one of my best friends. And I know the amount of money that he's put into anti-poaching and conservation. Um, you know, you're, you're telling him he's hurting the community. His wife is from there. Like his, <laughs> he's over there with her family you know, I really want to say, look, you dumb fucks, don't speak until you actually know what you're talking about. But again, human emotion, they immediately jump to conclusions. And like you said, that fed who knows how many people in that village and and how much he's helped that village. But no one knows that we just eat our own. And it, it, it's, uh, it's called virtue signaling, man. It, it's uh, like we're in this weird race to like somehow uh, prove to other people that we have this moral high ground and this uh, virtue signaling. It's uh like uh, I see it uh, and I think people don't even realize they're doing it. And it, it comes to this idea of like, uh, you know, and I, the quote I always give them is whenever they get into this, I'm like, didn't Jesus say you're not supposed to judge man until you walk a mile in his shoes? So like a lot of these times, if you can just pelt them with some, uh, some Jesus quotes, it usually helps. <laughs> and they're like, are you a religious person? I'm like, no, but I, but I did read the Bible and I'm intelligent enough to know that there was a wise man named Jesus that lived a long time ago that they tell a lot of good stories about. But like, you know, you guys are ready to beat people to death with this book. But at the end of the day, like uh, we're, we're so quick to judge. And, and um, you know, like we, we posted, uh, we had a, another podcast and we purposely kind of posted, not a misleading, but just a small snapshot in terms of a, a quote. And people like flew off the handle, having never even listened to the podcast. And it, we were talking about uh, one of the guys we were talking to, Derek Woodsky. He worked as a strength coach for the Saudi royal family and was in the Middle East for a long period of time. And he was talking about the burqas and the face coverings on the women. Uh, creates like a weird kind of dehumanizing thing where like you don't notice them. And then when you see them without it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I didn't even... I didn't even realize that was a person behind the mask. So he talked about the dehumanizing effects. So we kind of posted a little bit of uh, like a little quote uh, about like mass dehumanize. And dude, the amount of people that fucking went off and like were losing their minds about this, having never listened to the podcast, didn't understand the context, but because they only, you know, they felt the margins of their experience. It's got to be about COVID. It's got to be about this mass thing. And um, it's just pretty funny, man. People are so quick to jump to conclusions in terms of like, hey, uh, but I mean, I, I guess we all do it. It's so polarizing, especially, you know, with the phones and social media and the way everything's set up. I definitely have, uh, in the last three or four years gotten probably as good as I can at taking a big step back in commenting. Cause my, my football coach said, it's, uh, you know, better to be stupid than speak and remove all doubt. And as I've gotten older, I've been like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to really look at this, especially as I'm getting more well-known and, and, um, you know, maybe judging people years ago uh, for certain things. And then as I get more well-known, I'm like, oh, I'm eating crow now. Like I was so full of shit with every my thoughts and, and thought processes and everything else, that, which happens, right? It's human nature and how you grow. But, you know, the one thing like 
I shoot a lot of animals each year, uh, but I eat, you know, personally, I, you know, I eat a minimum of a pound a day of, of, of elk or goat or mule deer or whatever at a minimum. Plus my wife eats it. We feed it to our dogs. Um, you know, and then my friends, my, my wife's a realtor. So when she sells a house, she actually brings a applicable, this big gift basket of wild game. Well, me that I'm, you know, or because I shoot more animals than I should. And I'm like, uh, I'm eating it all. Like it's, it's going to like, people are eating it. The shit's not getting thrown away. Well, that animal's for you to eat, not other people. And I'm like, um, so you don't invite people over to eat a steak dinner. Like you didn't eat Dude, this. Uh, I can't even think of like, like I, I, I hear this logic. Like I, um, so in Texas, like, as you know, man, deer are like, like rats yeah like if you don't hunt them like they just sprint into traffic and they hit cars and they're just fucking everywhere but, but i guess that's okay try. right a car well but it, <laughs> yeah it, it's like uh so explain to my daughters i'm like she you know like i but you know trying to explain it like the reason we go out and we hunt and we shoot these things is because if we don't one uh we got to make uh make room for next year uh next year's mamas is the biggest one so if if we don't take those does, then then their children aren't going to get a chance to have their children. And then, you know, you think about there's too many bucks and you kind of go through this thing and they sprint into traffic. So you have to because they don't really have that many natural predators anymore other than, a, you know, a minivan or an SUV sprinting down the road. So, like, we have to make sure that we you know keep it prick. And my kids are like, makes total sense. But then you talk to other people and like, I can't believe you hurt those poor deer. I'm like. The amount of uh, the amount of roadkill that I see in Texas, and the amount of people that are killed because of it, man, like it's just, I, it's uh, it, it's it, it's a non-starter. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I in Texas, I get MLD tags, or you know, basically to thin out the population. Excuse me, population. And in Alabama, we you can shoot quite a few deer in Alabama. And there was a, a photo we had of I was trying to tell a story. I'm a photographer, and we had shot several deer, and we put them in the back of the truck. And I took a photo of us loading the deer. We got to the processor, took a photo of all these deer in a row, and we actually donated some of them. Uh, they're pretty good about that down in Alabama for um, people with you yeah. know, financial issues. I literally, and I can't remember the total count, but it was, it was upwards of 50 comments of how bad that photo was for the outdoor community. And I'm like, look, I'm showing the process of what happens. These are being put to good use. Like, you know, not only that, my processing bill and shipping was like 2700 bucks because they make these bacon-wrapped steak cubes that are like heroin in them, I think. And, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm, with you. You know and I, I'm not nearly, you know, your size, but I eat a lot. And I'm like, guys, just because you eat like a, a, a fucking bird doesn't mean I don't consume a, a large amount of wild game. I mean, that's all we eat. And trying to you know, convey that. And maybe it's the guys that are just shitty hunters and are pissed off because they don't kill anything. But I'm like, literally every meal we have has wild game in it. it, it mm-hmm. Lunch, not always. But again, like last night, you know, we had our dad burger mixed with elk burger was in jalapeno and, and bacon. Right. And dude, I'm starving right now. Well, and then we I make yeah. that for the whole week. So at lunch, I'm jamming burgers down my throat. And it's like, how uh, how does all taste? Um, OK. Mm-hmm. Man, elk. Yeah, elk is the best. Like, yeah, <laughs> takes a lot better when you mix it with elk and jalapeno and bacon. Um. I uh, I shot a um, uh, one of my buddies is a landowner in California, and I got to shoot at uh, Tule elk. Yeah, and which was pretty cool. And um, uh, yeah, like we 
I've told these guys a story, but uh, we chased those things for probably four days through the mountains with the, with bows, and then on that like last day, I was like, "Fuck this!" We got up early and I shot it with a three hundred wind mag, and um, uh, like I took it to the processor and I went and I picked that food up. I remember as I was making the like making it, I'm like, "This is probably like if I ate elk for the rest of my life." I mean, the only thing that's ever been even close is uh, is really good buffalo stuff. Yeah, but buffalo, moose, and elk are all you know, really, really good, especially tule elk. If you shot them in the general area where they're at, they're eating yep. food that makes them taste better. Right. It's like eating, um, you know, a farm fed, uh, when I say farm fed, meaning they're living off ag land, whitetail, they'll taste different than a whitetail living in the mountains of Idaho or Montana. Um, those tule elk are probably the best eating elk, um, you know, you know arguably anyway, and people again, you can buy a fucking double cheeseburger every day and stuff it down your throat. No one says anything. Well, whatever small fraction of meat is in that cheeseburger, which is probably a small amount, that animal was alive at one time too. They just killed it with their checkbook, right? The the, the lady serving it is like the uh, the mediator of the deal. I just went out and killed it, but you're still killing something. You're just doing it a different way, and and people have a hard time wrapping their head around that as well. Well, it could could it be that people are just um the way that the the world is working now in terms of like congregating in, you know, cities that people are just so disconnected from their, from the food supply. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, um, with kind of like, uh, the military or, um, or sports or whatever, everyone should probably play a high school sport. Everyone should, it should try to join the military for at least six months and, and everybody should probably go harvest their own food and, and to really understand how life works. Because when I say harvest it, okay, we'll go to a, go stick the stainless steel rod with the air gun through the cow and then go hunt it with a bow or a gun. I bet you're going to feel probably more guilty with this poor little fucker that's pinned up that you take a rod when it's going through the little deal and stab in the head. I, it's weird how, um, it, people think it grows on trees, I guess, and I'm not explaining myself yeah, very yeah. well. But well, total, they're insulated from the whole. Like the, it, they're both, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, and how we value life. And like you look at a dog, and you kind of value it, its life because it's your pet, and you watch Lion King and fucking Bambi and stuff like that. Like you, you humanize a lot of this stuff, and then because we're insulated from the processing in the mass agriculture, like that is a morbid process. You know what I mean? It's morbid just in like the overpopulation and raising a lot of this stuff at times. Um, and it, I guess you could argue that the act of hunting and killing an animal is relatively morbid, but far less than like exactly what you're saying, which is like literally hurting animals into this chute and just pow, one after another, crashing their skull with this fucking um, no country for but, old men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. So it's like uh, fucked with that guy. That that dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, how epic was that movie? He's coming around with that uh, bonkers, like so with good. the cattle killer and like mm -hmm. with what, compressed air. Oh, what Jesus. was what was crazy in the beginning of that movie is they, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, that voice he has when he's like, you oh know, yeah, my dad was a you know sheriff, same time I was in Plano County, and I'm like, this movie's gonna be good, and then it started, and I'm like this is way better than I thought it was going to be uh, just, and they got the Texas, like you go to talk to anybody from, from Texas, they, they knocked it out of the park as far as some of the parts in that, or the, the roles in that. But what's crazy, that movie's a prime example, a dude with a silent shotgun and then a, you know, a, a cattle deal, whatever. 
totally fine. Everyone watched that movie. It's great. And then I bring them a steak for dinner after they watch the movie. And they're like, oh, I don't eat wild game. I'm like, okay, so that movie was okay, but you're not going to eat here. <laughs> the fuck? Man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, there, there's a restaurant here. Uh, what's it? Lonesome Dove that, that does mm-hmm. a ton of wild game. Yeah, and, uh, man, it's it, like anytime they go in there, it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan, like anything. And it, it's pretty good because uh, a bunch of people hunt. And the, the thing which is needed, especially, and you know this, with like uh, a lot of the invasive species, you can hunt them all year round, like the axis deer. Um, what are the little, uh, are they called, um, what, what are the little uh, the little deer from Africa that have the, like the, the little horns? The are they called black? Diker. Dude, uh, I spotted one of those in my neighbor's yard uh, about a week ago. Oh, just no. Literally just, uh, he, he has goats. And I looked over there and I'm like, man, those are, that's not a goat. And sure enough, and uh, snapped a picture. I and think was like, it, man, that's uh, I think it's a diker. Uh, we've got my, yep. my, my boss, or Patrick, he's got two of them. And they're like a little dog with little horns. I guess they're really good. Yep. Too, but. Uh, well, what, uh, as you know, in Texas, they have all these high fences and the deal. And then I think like the animals either escape or they don't manage them anymore. I mean, uh, driving over towards the Salt Lake in Driftwood, you're driving and all of a sudden there's a, like a huge flock of uh, ostriches. Yeah. And then you're driving and you'll see like a giraffe or a zebra run by and it's it's Dude, I, it's so cool out in this area. You bring up an ostrich, it's funny, I was down there hunting, which I shouldn't even tell this story, but um, an emu came out, right, when I was on the stock and I, Jesus, they're huge. And uh, the guy said I could shoot whatever, um, Sorry, I keep getting phone calls. The guy said I could shoot really whatever was on this this ranch. And so I I shoot this giant bird. And uh, I'm like, that doesn't, I don't think it's an ostrich. So then, you know, me, I'm looking for this giant wing bone to eat, right? And I'm, I'm cutting it up. To, and I'm like, where the fuck is the wing bone? Well, they don't have any, they can't fly. There's no muscle there. It's just, they're all leg. Well, dude, that, that bird's legs are bigger than yours. I was like... Jesus, because it's huge drumsticks. It's all what the drumstick. I mean, it was the strangest thing because I'm out here plucking this, you know, probably 120 pound turkey, trying to figure out how to clean it, and I'm lifting the wing up, and I'm like, "Huh, there's no real wing. What the hell's going on here?" And then I took the leg off, and I felt like I had a moose quarter on me. It, that emu was some of the best eating meat I had ever had. But I came back, you know, and, and I've got these emu quarters in my pack and because it was i don't know i think it was four thousand acres and uh you, so i pa- i'm like hey i shot something uh it's like a bird <laughs> and the dude was like uh we don't have those here and he goes but we have a neighboring you know they get loose from a neighboring ranch he said i think it's an emu and i was like yeah can we cook it so they i mean they you know they cooked it right there or whatever but i, I was um you know, you talk about like dog or whatever, like dog in Korea is a, is a meal here, sure. you know, it's not. And then, you know, the, the emu to me, I'd never eaten one and I've eaten all kinds of shit. And uh, I tell you what, I wish I could eat emu every meal because that thing is like a delicacy. Was it uh, was it white meat or was it more red meat? Mm-hmm. That was white meat. It, it, you know, it reminded me of chicken to a certain degree, but it was certainly I mean, you don't see a chicken breast that big right it was this huge quarter <laughs> and it tasted different obviously like it almost reminded me somewhat of like a like grouse i guess uh the taste of it but it was you know i like grouse but again it was one of those experiences where literally like you know here comes a six foot bird walking across and i'm like i guess i'll shoot that and see what it tastes like but it, you know you don't know what you're going to run into down there. 
uh, I, I taught a seminar in, uh, up in the Arctic Circle in Norway. And uh, after the event, the guy, um, one of the dudes at the seminar took us to this like little, I guess like an urt or something, some hut out in the wilderness. And they, you know, had this like traditional moonshine, which was called uh, Mied. And then they uh, had whale blubber and like a bunch of whale meat and had like made all this food for us. And uh, I was pretty blown away, one, because the whale meat's like, it's red. I just affected, thought it was a fish. Uh, tasted like uh, like somebody had soaked it in iron, and it was just like the craziest food. So I'm always amazed with some of these birds or some of these animals where you're like, wasn't expecting it to look like that. So that's why I was like, man, it could have been a, a red, like a red meated bird. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, off of memory, I'm I'm almost positive it was white uh, white meat or or I say white, white darker white meat. Um, but it, I'm thinking about it. You're talking about like whale. The um, I I ate that once and. You know, it almost felt like I was eating and got a bloody nose in the middle of eating it. Um, is what it reminded me of, kind of the the taste. Does, yeah. that, does that seem about right? Yeah. Well, and then the, the the cool thing is they cooked the meat and then they took the blubber and they cut the blubber into cubes and they had frozen it and then like gave it to us like this frozen blubber and it, it tasted like candy. It was super sweet, but the meat was like. The only thing I could equate it is like if you had like a bunch of iron powder and somehow like soaked it in the meat and that's what the marinade was. They're like, isn't it good? I'm like, mm, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to have some more. <laughs> yeah. Well, different countries like that. When I was in Korea, um, I heard this dog go, you know, they, they cook them alive uh, whole with a fur on them. And, you know, initially I like want to jump the fence. I'm like, that's a dog. And then uh, we had a Katusa with us, which is like a translator or whatever. Anyway. You know, that's just how they, they do it. And I'm like, well, you, know, you think about it, if people saw like what we do with cattle, which cattle is a, a god in some countries, um, it's just, you know, how you're you're raised. I mean, it's what, you know, it's no different to them than us eating, you know, a steak or whatever. It was initially a bit difficult for me to swallow considering I had dogs as pets when I grew up. But, um, of course, then again, I had to try it. So I went down and ate dog, which it tasted all right in the local village but it's not certainly not my first choice to go eat you know fido but um it, it just depends on where you're from i i went to a barbecue in high school for a tongan guy and they uh they served uh, horse ribs yeah yeah so yeah, I, 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 yeah hor- horse is like a, a a coveted meal and i'm looking at those ribs i'm like damn those ribs are way too big like those look don't look like any ribs i've ever seen and sure enough it was horse, horse. so was, it's amazing what people eat. What was that movie, Old Brother, where art thou? When he's like, uh, I killed this horse last Tuesday. I thought it was about to turn back in the Depression days. I mean, when you're starving, I guess you'll eat just about anything. I've eaten marmot several times on backpacking trips, and that's certainly not my first choice. But uh <laughs> tastes like pork. That's a big rat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, Patrick, my boss, he eats them. He calls it Rocky Mountain Fish and Chips with, uh, with cutthroats, and he eats marmot where – yeah, I'm like, yeah, Patrick, I ate them because I was really hungry and out of food, man. I'm not really wanting to climb up here just to eat a marmot to eat it. Um, <laughs> he, he he likes them. It's just not my definitely not my first choice, I guess. Uh, I'll eat a marmot if I have to, but I, I'm certainly not going to go up there and shoot one because I enjoy the taste. Have you hunted all over the world? No, not all over the world. Um, all over North America. Um, but I haven't, you know, honestly, financially uh you know until now i haven't really been able to go afford a lot of these different hunts and uh, so I'd, I'd say all over the world would be a stretch um you know obviously i've traveled all over but i wasn't hunting when i was there and i'm always i like to eat so like the first time i had octopus was 
basically in, in Korea and, and uh, coming an Oregon boy that, you know, steak and potatoes was my thing. They cut the leg off and handed it to me. And I'm like, we're not going to cook this thing. And I, I mean, I'm like, well, so I, it's still squirming. Is it like still squirming on yeah, the table? Yeah. But then this Korean guy beside me ate one and I was like, mm, well, I don't want to be a bitch. Right. So I ate it. It was <laughs> a little bit hard to swallow at first, but now I'm, you know, I eat, I mean, octopus is, is really good, and, and uh, you know, I eat sushi constantly, so it's no different. I guess it's whatever frame of mind you're in when you're chomping it down. So, mm-hmm. so what are what are some of the more memorable uh, domestic hunts that you've had? And then, mm-hmm. second follow up is like, what's on the wish list now that you're, you're kind of getting outside of uh, the U.S. and you know, do you, you you're in a different um, arena and what you can what you can afford and what what's practical. Yeah, I would say probably, um, uh, you know, especially switching to a recurve a few years ago, you know, your ass whooping to get an animal is quite a bit more than with a, with a compound. But, um, man, uh, most memorable, Jesus, uh, I, and, and 2016, and I probably shot 40 or 50 elk before that was the first elk I shot with a recurve. That one was extremely memorable just because the ass whooping I took to get it, I, I, one of those guys that I feel the, the the human body and mind can accomplish anything. I may be wrong. This may not, you know, it may not pan out for me. And it wasn't that extreme of a hunt. We weren't like 20 miles in. We were only, you know, three or four miles in and uh, just mentally and physically draining of how close we got, and, you know, multiple times over. And then I did a few 14 day solo backpack trips. Um, those as far as just like, um, you know, it got to a point on day nine, 10 and 11, where it was really just more of a, I'm going to make it to day 14, just because I can say I did it. But I, I, you know, I smelled so freaking bad. Uh, by day 10, I think my pants could have walked for me. And, 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 and truly, like, um, until you're alone for that many days, um, you know, you know, you can accomplish anything once you've done that. But you're also like the first person I saw I feel like somebody from Kansas, it's a farmer that doesn't ever see anybody. And you pull up, you're like, Hey, can I talk on your property or on your property talking to you? Cause he hasn't got to talk to anybody. That was me. Right. I ran into somebody on the hike out there like, Oh, are you hunting? And then like 45 minutes later, they're like, dude, get out of my face. Cause I was talking to him so much. So 14 day solo is a long trip. Um, a, a sheep hunt I did with a guy, um, another one of those physically demandings. We hit 12,000 feet gained and lost in one day on that hunt. Fuck. And literally just one of those deals where it just, I just say that like the most memorable hunts are the ones where I probably push myself physically harder than I thought humanly possible and s- still was able to do it. So probably not directly answering your question because there's too many different trips I've been on that are memorable like that. Um, there's a couple I've, you know, mm-hmm. got close to, you know, probably kicking the bucket on that are pretty, you know, memorable that we're also learning, um, uh, learning adventures where maybe I thought I knew what I was doing when I was 28 and, you know, then certain things happen. And by 30, I'm like, man, I was a dumb shit. And at 35, it happened again, but a little bit different. And you know, when you're in the mountains, you know, most years I'm, I'm 200 nights in the field. Um, there's just so much shit. Last year I shot a Wolverine in, in Alaska was my recurve at like 12 yards. I mean, there's only a couple people in the history of mankind that have done that with a recurve. And, I, you know, that was one where yeah, the, the third, I, I shot it three times, the third arrow was charging me and I, I hit it at about eight yards and it bit the arrow in half 
and pulled himself off the arrow and ended up dying just a few feet from me. You know, I, I couldn't have put a grease flaxseed through my ass with a hammer when that thing was coming at me. So <laughs> shit like that, you know, it's just, you're out there more. We've been charged by grizzlies a lot. And I don't, there's, there's too much to even list. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That not, not the responses I was expecting, but definitely fucking memorable in that sense. And that was, a, that was, you couldn't hammer a grease flaxseed up your ass. What was that saying again? With a penis. Yeah, with a penis. Yeah, either one. Flaccid penis. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I could get a flexseed in my butt with a flaccid penis, but it was weird. Uh, I heard that at some point I couldn't put a grease BB through my ass with a hammer, so I changed it to a flaxseed. Um, I, I just, you know, when you get charged the first time by a, a grizzly or or anything, um, it's you know daunting, and then like by the fifth time. It's kind of like when you get a new car and you don't want to scratch it, and then six weeks later you're driving down some road pinstriping the shit out of it. You don't care. <laughs> First time you get charged, you're like, wow. And then like the, the fifth time, you're like, ah, it's whatever. Not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you carry a pistol or anything as a backup? Like if that bow didn't strike, you would have been fucking attacked by a wolverine? Man, I'm bad. I don't carry a, a mace or a, a weapon or, you know, bear spray or anything. Now, I don't live in grizzly country. I mean, I do hunt there, and I haven't carried a backup weapon, but – um, prop, you know, if I, the, the chance of me dying are pretty highly possible off a cliff, um, more than an animal attacking me being truthful or, or lightning. Um, those are some of the bigger issues that, um, that, that I have, um, I I've come real close to dying on cliffs. I guess I would say like mountain lions don't bother me. Bears don't bother me. Cliffs. I, if I die, I'm probably going to fall off one just because of the shit that we deal with here. And that, it, not making it sound worse than it is. It's just, you know, when you hear guys say like, um, oh, man, that guy was really unlucky. This happened. Well, there's a high probability of there was multiple red flags that day that he got so desensitized that those red flags weren't red flags anymore. And then something happened. A rock flipped off or whatever bad foothold and down he crashed 150 feet you just get so desensitized every day of doing that that it becomes not that big of a deal in, until it's it's a big deal so i worry more about that than anything having said that i killed a bear two years ago i shot it twice once at four yards here once here and when it went out to about 15 i hit it again and literally that would have been like my dog snapping at me i was so used to uh you know having bears around me so you, you know again you're you're out there long enough you're going to experience some crazy shit mm-hmm. so i mean it, it sounds like the progression was kind of compound to this to a recurve kind of up the ante a little bit so what's what's ultimately next is it are you going hand to hand or yeah. something you're going to be spear, spear hunting I, yeah i might do this this i've speared shit before but um you know really at brown bear i talked to a guy last night that's kind of my next thing i mean i'm gonna do a lot of hunts before that but that would be one of my goals is to, to shoot a brown bear you know sub 20 yards with the, the recurve on like a spot and stock mm-hmm. hunt i've got a doll mm-hmm. sheep hunt plan with a really good friend of mine uh, clay land for but for me it's weird you know maybe it's just i honey in north america there's so many opportunities here i man i really enjoy just hunting here if i couldn't travel again i like going up to canada but you know, if I never traveled outside of North America, I'd be totally content. There are so many adventures here and so much things that, you know, I, I haven't been able to, you know, to do just time, right? There's only 365 days a year. And there's only so much, you can only put five pounds of shit in a five pound bucket. 
that bucket of mine is overflowing every year anyway. So, mm-hmm. so what? Let's say you know we got some listeners here that are like, man, you've you've piqued their interest in this this hunting space. You know, it, pack hunting might not. Is that the place to start? Do you have any other yeah. advice for these guys? Yeah, or? no, don't start with that shit. Or you'll quit quick. <laughs> um, you know, I would say really do something like you know people you're not getting your ass kicked you have a high probability of success um especially like my my wife um you know she was uh she wasn't vegan but she you know she ate pretty no red meat and just like turkey and fish when when we got together and like now she's killed several turkeys and whitetails she shot an owl dad last year um you, you know i wanted to make it to where she wanted to come back like um uh, Imagine a stick figure going into a muscle head gym where guys are grabbing 180 pound dumbbells, right? He's going to be so intimidated by it. He's probably never going to come back because he thinks it's unattainable. Make it attainable for success and, and fun and then kind of bridge up. Now, if you're just a, like a harder than woodpecker lips dude that, you know, has been running ultra marathons and or, or you know, professional sports, you might want to try backpack hunting, right? You're, you know, you, you become friends with pain. You're never going to be alone. If you're friends with pain already, backpack hunting may be your thing. But if you're just getting into hunting and haven't abused your body, backpack hunting is not a good way to start. You know, I'd say turkey hunts or do something a little bit more realistic for success. Man, I thought hunting turkeys was hilarious. I remember uh, we were we set up in the blind and um, called them in, and the turkey, the tom came over and was banging the decoy. Yeah. And I literally popped out and I shot it in the neck, and as the thing was going down, it was still humping. Uh, the decoy, yeah, yeah, and like, like, it, and and the thing saw me, and like, it's, it's, it's it, it, like, once it couldn't, once it was on the decoy, it couldn't stop, and I like shot up, shot it right in the neck, well, and the thing crazy, you shoot fell, in the neck, it was awesome. All his buddies come over and beat the shit out of him. Um, <laughs> it's wild how many times you shoot a turkey, and then all his friends come over, his dying breath, he's getting pecked in the eye by his buddies. It's like, man, turkeys <laughs> are hard. <laughs> yeah, dude, gnarly. Yeah. Man, Aaron, this is great chat, man. I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, John, do you have anything else for him? No, I, I dude, I'm, uh, it's, it's funny because uh, I'm a Kafaru fan and have been for like 10 years. So I, I have a bunch of packs. I mean, I, dude, I still travel with uh, the one that like, I forgot what it's called, but uh, you guys don't even make it anymore. It was like a, a panel pack that like basically I zip open the front and I could put everything in. Because I don't like packs where you got, yeah, the Marauder. Yep. And then I got that strap on the front where I can basically just kind of like put the, the jacket in and then cinch it on. That Marauder, I've traveled to the uh, all around the entire world. And what was so perfect is I can put so much stuff in there and I can still put it in the overhead so I never have to check any luggage. That, yeah. uh, yeah. that thing has been incredible. Yeah, well, I appreciate the support. And, uh, yeah, anytime, it's always good to talk about this stuff to maybe, you know, people interested in, in hunting or looking at getting into it. So anytime you guys need anything from me, yeah, definitely let me know. Yeah, and then uh, I think I have um, one of the, the, the one of the packs that I use for bow hunting. It's like a um, man. It's kind of a skinnier pack, but it's uh, it's longer and it's in gray. But man, I can't remember the name of that one either. And that one's killer too. But it's it's a it's a stuffing pack. But man, uh, yeah, the Kafaro stuff's indestructible. Like I'm not like when I tell you we traveled. I mean, dude, I taught 200 plus seminars all around the globe and took that pack with me, and it still looks fucking brand new. Mm. It's uh, yeah, no, it's it's good stuff. It's cool to buy something that doesn't get like even after you've used it. Yeah, still the last. Yeah, like actually looks looks nice. Doesn't beat to shit. Yeah, but I don't think people realize you know one of the last ones. We're all we're all made in America. American components, you know, thread, needle, everything is is made here in the well here in Colorado. Um, 
and, and, and truly like with everything going on now, there's a lot of American flags stamped on things that are like assembled in America with Asian components, things like that. And we, we truly are all made here. Um, and it's cool. It's a, it's a tight knit group and, you know, the, the business itself obviously is expanding, you know, greatly and we want to expand it more, but it, it's cool to see, you know, when you call our customer service reps, we hunt, uh, we're, we're all into fitness. You know, Frank's a big CrossFitter. Um, and you don't get that very often where you, you can call and talk to the president of the company. I just, like I said, I did a Q and a yesterday and probably answered 1500 questions from everything from arrows to packs to footwear and anything that's applicable that I could answer. A lot of times I'm like, yeah, my answer is ask somebody that knows what they're doing, but if I can help, I try, <laughs> you know, you just, well, that's what I, I, I appreciate you on the, on the clothing thing. The, the other thing I have from you guys that I use, I find myself using all the time was, uh, it's like this, uh, it's three poles and it's got some fabric on it. It's like a little makeshift seat so I can yeah, put it on yeah. the ground and kind of sit anywhere. Dude, yeah. I have that thing in my truck and use it all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, that just comes from guys being in the field, right? You don't think about it until you're stuck somewhere and you have no place to sit. You know, they're, they're super handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's killer stuff, man. Hey, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, it's great to connect and meet you. Yeah. And if, if people want to connect with you, man, I guess on social, Aaron Snyder. Right. A-R-N underscore Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. And then tell us a little bit about uh, the Kafaru cast. Yeah, the, the podcast, it's K-I-F-A-R-U-C-A-S-T. And we cover everything from uh, just talking shit to footwear to testosterone replacement to gear, archery. We cover everything. It is explicit uh, when you hop on there. So uh, we are not on our best behavior, but at the very least. You're talking to the right people. Yeah. <laughs> You will laugh a lot if you get on there, but we try to make it funny and realistic and then obviously learn something at the same time. Uh, and then kafaru.net is the uh, the website for the packs and sleeping bags and things like that. So. Yeah, if you guys want some high-end gear, I mean, stuff that'll, uh, you know. Built to last. Well, it's kind of like I always think, uh, like, uh, especially in our gym, like uh, Sornex, all of our equipment's from Sornex. And I always joke with my kids. I'm like, you know, you're going to probably teach your kids to lift weights on this stuff. Like then, yeah. and that's what's right. nice. It's, it's killer to buy shit that like, you know, stands the test of time. But like, I can't believe that stuff's thirty years old. It looks brand new, you know. And that's uh, definitely the Kafaro stuff. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Take it easy. Yeah, take care, everybody. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Luke spelled out the details of how you can follow Aaron and Kafaru on social media, so I am going to remind you that September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. That means it's the start of our annual Wade's Army campaign. Head to wadesarmy.org to join the fight against neuroblastoma. Start a team or make a donation as an individual and receive your official Wade's Army uniform to sport on Wade's Day. That's November 12th. Until next time, bye!